All right. Well, last week we learned some things about technology together. Uh, think of this. Uh, we learned that according to uh, the Barnett Group, one of the greatest challenges uh, facing families today is this whole idea that technology has invaded both our personal lives and our homes. And how do we handle all of that? Uh, what's a biblical way to handle that? And parents uh, believe that raising kids today is more difficult than it was when they were kids. And why is that? Well, technology is the number one reason parents believe raising kids today is tougher. Technology. How do we do this in a practical kind of way? So last week we used a very simple definition for technology. It can actually get kind of complex, but I'm a simple kind of guy. So we defined it like this. Technology becomes specific methods, materials, and devices used to solve problems. That's simple enough, isn't it? So it's those methods, materials, and devices used to solve practical problems. Technology. Technology. So developing a common language is very important. And this is the definition we'll use again today. So uh, welcome to our series. Uh, We're calling it This Is Us. It'll run for several more weeks. But what we want to do is look at real life. We want to look at real issues. We want to look at real answers uh, from the Word of God. How do we do this together as a church family? How do we do this thing uh, called life? And uh, Lord willing, we've got some more answers coming today. So uh, last week we said... Or ask the question, where did technology come from? Okay. Good. Technology comes from where? And the right answer at Southside is always. Thank you. Always, yes. If you ever get in a jam, just say that word. What's the word? What's the name that is above every name? What name will every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord, the glory of God the Father? Who's your Savior? Who's your Lord, at least most of the time? Okay, just wondering, just wondering. Here's what John said. God created everything through Jesus. God created everything through Jesus, and nothing was created except through Jesus. So if we ask the question, where did technology come from? We have to understand that God created what? Everything. Did God create that chair? Did God create the chair that you're seated on? The idea of the chair. Who made the chair? Okay, wrong answer. Thank you, Pastor Michael. He's still in ordination mode. Uh, who, who made that chair? Man using what? Technology. Okay, okay. So it's my opinion that technology actually is an incredible expression of our God-given creativity. Everything comes ultimately from God. Now, while technology is certainly a part of God's creation, we understand that, and it's an important part of our human history, our world today of technology, I believe, is much different than it ever has been. Why is that? Well, today... Technology not only solves those practical problems as per the definition, but it also gives us endless opportunities for both work and leisure. 
Using technology, you can work all day long, all night long. You can play games and do stuff all day and all night long. So technology has given us, for the first time, this endless stream of possibilities. So what does the Bible say about stuff like cell phones and computers? What does the Bible say about Siri and Alexa? What does the Bible say? Oh, this is the interactive part. He created and it's good, correct? Everything that God created is good. We learn that from Genesis, do we not? Except one thing. What was not good? For man to be alone. That was not good. So he did something about it. Hmm. So we're made for relationship with God and with each other. So we're made for relationship. A lot of people carry on a relationship through technology. And Siri and Alexa are the best friends. And Facebook gives us all the social interaction. And so technology then becomes relational in that sense. Hmm. So what does the Bible say? The Bible says nothing. And the Bible says everything about that. So this is where you're going to teach me. Because in order to understand the effectiveness, if I'm actually communicating, you're absorbing what we're talking about, you need to now teach me. Okay. So if something is specifically not mentioned, what do we do? Well, let's back up. If we have a question about something, do you believe that the Bible has the answer to everything? You born-again evangelical types? Huh. Okay, the Bible has the answer to every question. But you know that cell phones and laptops, computers in general, technology generally is not mentioned in Scripture specifically, right? So if we're looking into the Bible for direction, because the Bible is what? It's timeless. It's what else? A guide for our lives. But what is it in essence? What is the Bible? It's the Word of God. Who is the Word of God? Okay, there, we got a right answer. Thank you. Good, good. You're one for two. We're working on a better score. Um, Okay, so Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Correct? So Jesus is the Word. The Bible becomes the expression of who Jesus is. It tells us how to have a relationship with God and each other. Correct? Okay, so... If we're looking for something, what is the first thing we look for in the Bible? What do we call it here? A directive, a command. We look for a directive. That's correct. So a directive then becomes a command that tells us what to do or how to live. And I believe the vast majority of issues, I think well over 90%, are handled in Scripture by using a directive. A directive. A directive is, as we've said here, It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. It's a command. It's a command. It's an appeal then to our volitional self, our will. And when you are given a command, what are your two choices? Obey or disobey. disobey. That's correct. Pretty simple. Am I going to follow it? Am I not going to follow it? Right? So the Bible is filled with directives. Give me a few directives that are in the Bible. You shall not kill. Okay? Go Go and tell. Not steal. Good. Love one another. Love one another. 
Good. What else? Ooh, there's a tough one. Good. Hmm? Pray about everything. Yeah, that is directed, by the way. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Yeah? Children, obey your parents. And all the parents said, Kids, are you listening? Uh, Yes, fathers, do not provoke your children. Exasperate them. And together all the kids said, not quite so. Yeah, yeah the, the older children. Would, yes. <laughs> so the Bible is filled with directives, uh, both for us personally and for our family lives. Now, if something then is not mentioned specifically, like cell phones and computers, what do we look for in Scripture? A principle. That is correct. And what is a principle? A principle is simply a truth that transcends time and culture. It's true anytime. It's true anywhere. So we're looking then for a principle. Because if the Bible, in fact, does have the answers to all things, we then look for principles. There are a handful of principles that govern my life. I mentioned a couple of them to you last week. Whether then you eat or drink, this is the New American Standard, and I'm not quoting it the way the screen does. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Is that a kind of an all-encompassing principle? Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Of God, so that kind of covers this whole area of technology. Uh, here's another one: as Paul wrote uh, to the Corinthian church, who were enjoying their freedom in Christ, you say, "I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you." Do you agree with that? Yeah, in Christ we're free, and even though I am not allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. So while everything is good, it doesn't necessarily mean it's beneficial for me. Correct. So we have to then begin to weigh this. Hmm. So from those principles then, we then form our own conviction. That is correct, conviction. So conviction is simply uh, taking that principle and putting it into practice in my own life. Okay? So I take the principle from the Word of God. I will not be mastered by anything. And so therefore I'm going to set boundaries on something like technology because I don't want to become a slave to this thing. Right? And we very easily can become slaves. Way too easily. Right? Now, a couple of things about convictions. Convictions can change. Be very, very aware of that. And over the years, for example, my convictions about music have changed. I once, uh, when I came to the Lord in my 20s, uh, said I will not listen to any secular music. And so I grew up in a generation of uh, Larry Norman. Anybody heard of Larry Norman? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. All the old people said, yeah. Now we're talking, right? Okay. And uh, made that transition musically uh, because I have a musical background. And uh, But over the years, my convictions have changed about music. I listen to oldies. <gasps> I listen to oldies. Oh, my goodness. Oh, boy. And so we must avoid making our convictions the same as a command. And the church uh, is bogged down in this quagmire of making convictions commands. And we then begin to put our convictions on other people. That's wrong. Is that right? It's wrong, it's right? 
Correct. Very good answer, right? Because Paul very clearly says in Romans 14, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Keep between yourself and God. We're not to run around putting our convictions on everyone else, our own convictions. And again, I think I shared that story with you before, but uh, when I was in my first pastorate uh, in the mid-80s, remember back in the days when the pastor would greet everybody going out the back door? (laughs) That was fun. Um, And so this family was new to the church, and uh, she, she comes up to me with her family, and uh, next in line, she said, uh, uh, do you go to movies? And I said, yeah, I've been to one movie in the last year with my kids. So she, right there, began this rant about the evils of Hollywood and how I was supporting uh, an industry that was corrupt and blah, 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 blah. So that really uh, got me. Uh, that was like, okay, what's going on here? Uh, and then I learned that people love putting convictions on their pastor. Just love doing that and expect you to do and act a certain way. Now, then I go to freedom in Christ, and I have to understand my convictions are my convictions. Yours are yours. Keep them to yourself, would you? Now, sometimes I might ask you about your conviction because I want to make sure that it's based on a principle and your convictions are not based on some Sunday school class or the way you were raised or the part of the country you were raised in because much of our Christianity reflects that, unfortunately. What we do is a culture. Christianity is not a culture. Christianity is about a living, vital relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So, convictions can change. Convictions guide me in the gray areas. And when something's not exactly in Scripture, I said, God, show me. What is your will in this? And often a principle will emerge. And convictions can vary. We can still all get along. We can. And because of this, this whole topic of technology is an area of conviction. The proper place for technology won't be the same for everybody in the room. For you as a person... For you as a couple, for you as a family, for us as a church, there will be all kinds of convictions about this, and that's okay because we're not all the same place spiritually, uh, chronologically, uh, all of those things. We're all in different places. We're all growing. Can't we give the, each other benefit of the doubt and grow together? Right? As long as we're all moving toward Jesus, is that not the point? Okay? So, if there's one thing about technology that I've discovered, it doesn't stay in its proper place all on its own. If we're not intentional about it, it'll be like I mentioned last week. You come to our house when the grandkids have been there, and there's toys all over the floor. And to add to that, the dog likes to take her toys out when the grandkids are over, and they're all mixed together. Have you ever walked in your living room rug? Ours is multicolored. At night, when you turn off the lights and you step on one of those toys, <laughs> i got a certain conviction about that, too. So, um, here's the reality. American adults now spend more than 11 hours per day in devices. Watching, reading, listening, playing, interacting with screens, according to the latest study by Nielsen. Now, 11 hours. I've asked uh, people this week, how, how much time do you spend? Oh, maybe two, three, four hours. No, it's 11 hours. That's the average. That includes television, that includes... Now think about that for a moment. If you are in one of those jobs in which you sit in front of a computer most of the day, that is a piece of cake. 11 hours goes by just like that. 
So we're looking at 11 hours. Now, the thing that concerns me is that's up from nine and a half hours just four years ago. So we've gone from nine and a half hours a day to 11 hours a day in four years. So the numbers are going this way. Where's it going to end up? (laughs) Uh, Who knows, right? But that's the trending that's taking place. Now, I was talking to a Southside parent last week who monitors their kid's iPhone usage, right? And you can do that. And their child was averaging eight to 10 hours a day in the phone. Now, I thought that was interesting, but that's spot on with the national average. The national average, the teen spends just over nine hours a day on their phone. Nine hours a day. Everybody puts their phones away? Good. Okay, cool. Uh, at least for a moment, right? So, I'm just stating the facts, just stating the facts of where we are. Now, a shout-out again to Andy Crouch, the author of this book, TechWise Family. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend read uh, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Now, children are spending an average of five hours a day on their electronic devices. Five hours a day. Now, we've gone adults, teens, now kids. An average of five hours a day. Now, the most common justification for the early introduction of technology into the classrooms of our public schools and mainstreaming them into the educational process is children need to become computer literate. Because if our children do not become computer literate, then we will not keep up with China and India and the rest of the world, and our kids will be so far behind because they don't know how to handle technology. What a bogus argument. That's an absolutely bogus argument. So we hand our kids screen-based devices like candy thrown from Memorial Day parade float. Here you go. Here's your device. Here you have fun. And it's neither surprising nor impressive that our children figure them out so quickly. Now, my intent for you today, it didn't work out, sadly, was to bring Vivian up, my year-and-a-half-old granddaughter, and show you how she can handle technology. Man, all I have to do is show her my Apple Watch or give her my iPad, and I'm telling you, that 18-month-old can navigate. It's not hard to navigate technology. It's not rocket science. You need to think we need to have school classes teaching kids how to use technology. Maybe there's something a bit different. Huh. Huh. Maybe that could be true. If a two-year-old can figure out intuitively how to use an iPad, there's almost nothing to teach, certainly nothing that any person can't master in a couple hours. It's not that hard. But our kids need to be computer literate to keep up with all the changing world. Maybe we need to look at this a little differently. But now understand and don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't like ain't it awful preaching. Technology is not all bad. Technology can open worlds of understanding as long as it has its proper boundaries. So Solomon, would you come up here for just a moment? Can you say hi to Solomon? Solomon. Now, usually you've seen him dribble basketballs. I wanted to bring a couple out so he could show you he's he's pretty multidimensional kind of guy. Okay, and so Liz is going to talk to Solomon about technology. Liz, what do you got for us? Um, Solomon, how old are you? Ten. Solomon is ten. And I've just handed him my phone. Um, Okay, so Solomon is going to use my phone, which he's never touched until now, and show you a few things. First of all, Solomon, can you show us um, or tell us who the MVP of the NBA was in 2011? You can go to Safari or Google, and then you can just type in the MVP of 2019. 
Okay, go ahead and do it. Solomon is um, part of Generation Z. I've talked about Generation Z here before. Generation Z is from age 5 to 25, a little bit different um, depending on who you ask. They have never lived without the Internet, which um, means that that changes everything for them. 95 to 98% of Generation Z has access to a smartphone. Um, and half of them would say that it's the most important access to the Internet that they have. Did you find it? Who is it? You can go to Harvard. It shows a bunch of people being MVPs because there's a lot of them. But, yeah. What about 2011? Can you find 2011? Yeah, because we know who 2019 is going to be. <laughs> Depends on who you are. <laughs> Solomon, do you like basketball? So you don't know who the MVP of 2011 was? No? Okay. Did you find it? I, I guess it's the first one. Um, I guess it's um, Derek Rose. Derek Rose. Does anyone know? Is that right? Okay. So this is interesting. Solomon went straight to the images, which if you read statistics, Generation Z learns visually. So as you can tell, and if you think about it, this is this changing the way that marketing is done. So older generations might be frustrated by that, but you're seeing more videos and much more visual. And Solomon just proved that by going straight to um, the images. Okay, Solomon, um, first of all, does anyone know what the most used social platform is? Snapchat, I heard. Nope. Instagram? Nope. Not Facebook? Not Twitter? YouTube, yes. Um, by a lot, actually. YouTube. Solomon, do you use YouTube? Yes. Okay, Solomon, can you look up your favorite YouTube video for us? Or what would you, what would you watch on YouTube? I know your sister watches YouTube. Hope, do you use YouTube? Do you have a favorite thing on YouTube? Um, Generation Z, the, the interesting thing about Generation Z is that one out of five of them, now this is, a, this is from Britain, but I believe the United States is probably the same, one out of five wants to be a social, um, what's the word? I've just lost the word. Influencer, yes. One out of five of Generation Z wants to be a social influencer. The only thing above that is a doctor. And then below that is uh, a YouTuber. So 1 in 11 want to be a YouTuber. So this is changing the way Generation Z views employment, which actually makes them much more independent because they see that it can happen. They see a job right in front of them, and they can see that they can make money. And actually, kids Solomon's age is making money. Solomon, what would you find? Ah, so you're watching basketball videos on YouTube. Yeah. Awesome. Solomon, what games do you play on, um, what, what games do you play anywhere? What are your favorite games to play? Uh, Roblox. Okay. Roblox, where do you, wa where do you play Roblox? Uh, like, you can play on any device. You, you can go to .com, and as you can see, it's right here. <laughs> 
Pull it up. Pull it up. It's okay. Roblox, you can play on any device. How many devices do you play Roblox on? How many devices? Um, only two. Only two. Okay, this is not the Atari days where it's at home. Um, so Solomon plays Roblox. I tried to play this last night. I couldn't figure out how to get my guy to move. It was really frustrating. But that's one last fact that I'll share with you is the interesting thing about games now is kids can take them anywhere. Fortnite is very much the same. So you play it at home on different devices. You play it on your parents' phone. I was just at getting my haircut this weekend, and a mom was trying to get her haircut, and her kid was driving her nuts. So what did she do? She handed him the phone. She didn't even say anything to him. She just handed the phone. He took it, and he went and sat down, and he was silent. It was a beautiful thing. However, it's changing what kids do um, because they can do it anywhere. It's not like let's get out of the house so that we're not on social media or we're not playing a game. Uh, screen time is happening everywhere, so they can pick up right where they left off. Solomon, thank you. Well done. We didn't have anything embarrassing pop on my phone, so success. Thank you. So as you can tell, that was uh, completely spontaneous because I wanted you to see how quickly children can adapt to technology. It's not rocket science. And they can get around the internet like, uh, wow, 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 wow. So I believe we are created to live and learn in a physical world, not a virtual one. So what we're witnessing is something that contrary to my personal conviction is that we were made to live and learn and grow and die in a real physical world not a virtual one. Could it be the explosion of technology at earlier and earlier ages, as we're witnessing today, may well be remembered as one of the most damaging epidemics of the 21st century. And it's happening on our watch. That troubles me. That troubles me. So what do we do about that? What do we do about that? Because I get it. I get it. I, I do get it. Our screens offer a world far more colorful and entertaining than the real deal. It's more real than the real world especially this time of the year, in our part of the world, when you never know what the weather's going to be, so technology just kind of fills in gaps because we can't all get outside and enjoy everything all the time, right? So I, I get that. But I'm wondering if these screens can undermine our ability to really enjoy and engage life the way that God had intended us to do. It's just a question that I ask. Real life. And not so long ago, children went out to play in the ordinary world even if they didn't have any toys at all. Anybody remember those days? Because we had something far better than toys. We had grass and dirt and sticks. In imagination, we had worms and beetles and trees and fields. We had all this that was out there. And this world is becoming lost to many of our children and to many of our families. And that troubles me. As I look at what's happening in a bigger picture. However, my primary concern is the long-range spiritual impact that all this will have. You see, I need to remind us, the central disciplines of a dynamic spiritual life practiced by generations of Jesus followers have stayed the same for over 20 centuries now. And they include silence and solitude and fasting. Uh, they include disciplines. And where are we with that? Well, how do we do that? Yet, especially in the intimacy of our homes, technology can distract us from the real, real work, I believe, in the participating and in, in practicing and enjoying the presence of God. 
in stillness and in silence. Yeah. 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 Well, I just thought of that. Uh, yesterday, uh, I went to uh, Fort Atkinson to spend time uh, with family, and uh, Anderson, who was, who was three, uh, or nearly three, uh, said, Papa, what is that thing? I was sitting in the seat with him, wedged between two car seats, which is a very comfortable scenario, by the way. Uh, I enjoy that because my son-in-laws are massive, and they uh, use the front seats. So I'm wedged in between the two car seats in the back with my two grandkids, right? And he says, Papa, what is that? And I said, what is that? Well, that's a screen that comes down. So he picks up the headphones, and he puts them on. He said, okay, Papa, can you turn on the thing? I said, I don't know how to work that. I don't want to work that. And I'm thinking, man, it doesn't take but an instant before we realize that technology is just invasive. And what is that doing to our soul, I wonder? Is it robbing us from these intimate times with Jesus, uh, which takes silence and solitude and fasting and, and discipline? I'm horrified at the times and ashamed at others over the hours I spent staring at some ridiculous screen, brainless, aimless, meandering through sports updates or clicking on stories of people that I don't even know in situations I have no control over. You see, the problem isn't with the device itself. The problem is not with technology. It's, what, it's the way we use it. Therein lies the issue. We must decide to make media something we use on purpose and occasionally rather than meaninglessly and frequently. And this means that most of our time, for many of us in this room, our screen should stay blank longer. I don't know what that means for you, but there's the challenge. How do we get to the point where our screens stay blank longer? And for a generation that knows nothing but screens, what do we do here? What do we do here? I believe there's a better way. It doesn't require us to become like the Amish and separate ourselves from the modern technological world and live like that. But let me be direct and honest. The better way has got to be radical and a matter of choice. It requires making choices that most of our neighbors aren't making. And I mentioned to you last week, uh, even with our five kids growing up, the only technology you basically had uh, back in those days was a TV, and we would say no TV during the summer, and that would extend to six, seven months most years because we didn't want that to be the focus of our living room or our lives. And making that kind of choice means you're going to make different choices than the neighbors in this church you're sitting by are making. This is an issue between us and God. And we have to decide, Father, what is right for me? What is right for my family? What boundaries need to be set so that I can teach my children how to enjoy the presence of God? Which requires silence and solitude and fasting and the disciplines of the Christian faith that have worked for many, many years. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. We must make the choice to give our devices boundaries. We must make the choice to give our devices downtime. You see, it's not desire that changes our destiny. It's the decision that's made one moment, one day at a time. And if we want a preferred future, if we want something different for the next generation, we've got to make decisions, not just rely on our desires. Oh, I wish my family were more like this, or I wish I I had more discipline with technology. We can all desire that. 
But transformation happens when we make a decision, we act on them because God has spoken to us. And I hope, I hope there's some folk here who are courageous. Because this tide is sweeping us away. I don't think I'm overstating that. So in order to get over the withdrawal and discomfort of living more wisely, I guarantee you, you give up your technology for a while and there's withdrawal. There's a withdrawal from addiction. But in order to get over that and live more wisely, we've got to replace the time that we say we're not going to use technology with something else. Otherwise, the space will be filled right back in. You get what I'm saying? Unless we're intentional about taking the time that we're saying, I'm not going to use technology or I'm going to shut down technology and putting something else in there that more fits our family values and the direction that we believe God has our family headed in, it's all going to be absorbed back into our default. And the default for this generation is to get back on our devices and the whole family sits, each one with our own device, all sitting there and we're all disconnected because we're connected. Yeah. Hmm. What are you going to do about it? What about your family? What seems reasonable? I'm just saying this so we continue the conversation. That's what's important to me. We're having this conversation right with our children as they meet weekly in Kid Connect. We're wrestling with these kinds of issues. But I think unless parents begin to get a handle on this thing, uh, whatever we teach them or try to instruct them uh, is going to fall on deaf ears because parents have got to step up. And if all they see is us on our phones... We're all staring at a screen 11 hours a day. Our world is changing. And that's okay. The world will always be changing. I'm so glad God never changes. I'm so glad his love for us never changes. I'm so glad he's waiting with open arms to take us into his embrace and say, son, daughter, there's a better way to live. There's a better way for your family to live. Come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Do what's right for your family. Fight for your family. Let's not get lulled to sleep, church. May we all live as a tech-wise family, family by family, and then together as a church family. How do we do this? So we've got some more tools for you, technology tools, available at the welcome table as you exit. Right? So give you some ideas if you want to wrestle some more with this topic. But I am encouraged that we can talk about these things because they're important issues. And it's not about necessarily right now. It's about what's to come. And if we're going to pass the legacy of our faith on to the next generation, man, let's do this right. So uh, before we close with communion, any questions or comments about what we talked about? Or anybody else got a really... I appreciated Miko saying uh, what she did about having a technology fast. And that was my encouragement to you last week. One day a week, Right? One week a year? That's pretty bold. That's pretty bold. One hour a day, one day a week, some family values. We're not going to use technology for this hour, right? One hour a day, one week a year, on and on. Whatever you want to set 
It's all great. But I, I encourage you to wrestle with it. So thank you, Miko, for mentioning that. Anybody else got an idea how you do it in your family? How you may put some constructive boundaries on technology? Hi, Chloe. Hi. How are you? Good. How do you do it? Okay, so Chloe says define reality. For those of you that don't have a way to monitor how much screen time, uh, there are apps that do that, and you get a good handle on how much time you're actually... Were you shocked by that? Oh my God, yeah. You were shocked, yeah. And I think most of us would be. And I'll guarantee you it comes right in that 11-hour-a-day category. Yeah. Exactly, good. Who else? Solomon? So as many hours as you practice basketball is the same amount of time you get to use technology. Do you like that rule? Guess so. I guess so. <laughs> but that's a very wise, wise thing. I appreciate your parents doing that. I think it's very wise. Yeah, good. Who else? Yes. Yeah, I'm hearing more and more of this. Did you all get that? Uh, there's a basket by the front door, and when they have family gatherings, they all have to put their technology in the basket, and then they're returned to them, possibly, as they leave. Possibly. Yeah. That's weird. Okay. I'm glad they have that conviction. Yeah, I mean, I understand what they're saying there, but they're making a statement as a church family together about importance, aren't they? Now, many folk use the Bible lab, so we'd be cooked with that one here. But the point being, they're making, yeah, yeah, that's the point. I like it. Yes. had to match up with the number of kids because almost everybody has a phone in high school. So they did that in Spanish class. Um, so that was funny. But another thing that I've done is in order to aid in like my own self-control, sometimes at nighttime, I know a lot of other kids my age have a problem going to bed at night. You kind of get lost in that social media time hole and want to do all these other things that are on your phone. So you can, um, on iPhone, they have restrictions that you can have that are passcode restrictions. So sometimes parents can do it for their kids. So like every app will shut off or you can leave certain ones open. But for me, I can set what I want for myself and then give the family member, tell them to make up a passcode. And then, so if I need it for, like, a special night or whatever, if it's, like, prom or whatever, and I wanted it to go out, like, later, I don't know. I'm trying to think of other times. But then they could put in the passcode and let it go out longer. But otherwise, on normal days, it would shut off for me. So it's a way for me to help control my own self phone usage. So. Thank you, Sydney. That's really good. <laughs> Taking it upon yourself to do it rather than it being mandated. 
you're recognizing that issue. Good. There's a lot of good ideas here. I understand that. And we need to wrestle together as a church family uh, with that. So I appreciate uh, the conversation. I hope it continues. I hope it continues. Because these are very, very important issues to the future of the family. I'm convinced of that. Uh, You know the word family can be misleading? You do know that, correct? The word family can be misleading. You see, it's only recently and only in our small corner of the world here in the United States that family has primarily meant a mom, a dad, biological children living in a single family home. Are we aware enough of what happens in the world that this is a foreign concept to most of the world? What we have normalized here in this country is not the normal. Now, that may describe your own upbringing. That may be describing the living situation that you have right now. But according to the U.S. Census Bureau, it describes less than 20% of American households. Less than 20% of American households made up by the original mom, dad, biological children living in a single-family home. That's less than 20%. So our concept of family, I think, is a bit skewered. And we can't restrict it to what we have uh, Americanized as the normal for a family, mom, dad. And we put the stick family in the back of our minivan. It's like mom, dad, the kids, and the dog, and some other things that I don't know what they are. But at any rate, that's not necessarily the norm. It's not the norm. So I like to think of the family of God as family, because that's what the Bible says. Huh. And so that makes every Sunday kind of a family reunion of sorts. We get together with a family, a gathering of the family of God. That's why Paul referred to the church as a family. You are no longer slaves, he said in Ephesians 2, and foreigners. You are members of God's family. So uh, the collection of all these weird people, all ethnic backgrounds, age diversity, everything coming together uh, and sitting down together, this is the family of God that Paul pictured. And there are many nuances to the word family. For some here, the word family is warm, it's comforting, it's very reassuring. For others here, the word family is filled with pain and regret and discomfort and kind of, ooh, But just as there are some general physical resemblances between you and your siblings, generally, so there should be some general spiritual semblance of those who have gathered as the family of God as well. What are some of those common characteristics that identify us as part of the family of God? Well, we should all hate sin. We should all love God. One suffers. They all suffer. One rejoices. They all should be rejoicing, just like families do. They love each other. They all trust in Jesus as the only way to salvation. They all sing off of one sheet. They all have one playbook. It is the Bible, the Word of God. And like any family, there must be forgiveness and grace, connection. Despite their outward differences, uh, there's got to be the supernatural oneness of desire to be like Jesus and his character. Their joys and dislikes, their sorrows, their personal preferences, their little quirks that we all have, their hopes, their fears, uh, all begin to dissolve in the love of Jesus shown to us at the cross and celebrated at the empty tomb. And so this is us. This is us. The family of God. Very important concept according to the Bible. Now, are you a member of God's family? How do you get into God's family? By believing. Okay, good. Believing what? Mm-hmm. 
Okay, that's a good start. But does the devil believe in Jesus Christ? Uh, is the devil part of God's family? Okay, so what do we do with that? So we have to believe. We have to believe in Jesus. That's very true. Very true. But uh, it's not the whole thing, is it? You have to not only believe, you have to do something with that belief, don't you? And that's shown by the works that we do. Because faith without works is dead. Good. That's right. And I trust that you're trusting in the one who has paid it all for us. He is Jesus. And to become a member of God's family, it's not very hard, is it? It only costs you everything. It's a surrendering of our lives to his. It's walking with him. It's believing not only that he is, but that he does what he says he'll do. And he has forgiven us of our sin. He has given us the gift of eternal life.